But if you have a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Thanks for being here uh, this weekend. We looked at Daniel about two weeks ago, Daniel chapter 1, and we're just going to walk through Daniel uh, for a few weeks anyway. And we're, this morning, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel is writing this to people who were in exile had been, and, and how to deal with that. Daniel chapter 2 is a long chapter, uh, so we're not gonna, I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to read through it. But I encourage you to open your Bibles this morning to follow along with me as we look at it um, and to keep them open as we go through Daniel chapter 2. And we will read through Daniel chapter 2. It says this, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 10 and 11 says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And verse 17 says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. In verse 25, it says, Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king de declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. And then verses 46 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face, and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods, and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon." Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for chances to gather at the beginning of a week again, to hear your word, to sing together, to be encouraged together. Lord, thanks for the hope that we can have, that you are a God who reveals mysteries. 
We've got to know that this morning there are many people with mysteries in their own lives and the lives of things that they see around them. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us this morning, that you would teach us from your word, that you would encourage us from your word. That you would just, Holy Spirit, remove every distraction for the next few minutes and that we would just hear from you and that your word would speak and just meet needs. God, I pray that you would just be with those this morning who are struggling emotionally, spiritually, and physically. That you just touch them, heal them, strengthen them, help them to know your grace and your comfort. And God, give us grace and the comfort and the help that we need. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you are of any, probably anybody in this room almost, remembers where they were 20 years ago yesterday with the 9-11 and the commemoration of all the tragedy that took place and what has happened in the last um, 20 years and all of the events that have taken place since then. Just all the mysteries that go along to those Things. I was reading a, a, an author that I enjoy a, a week ago, and she, she posted this. She goes, I am having trouble, trouble remembering all the things to be freaked out about right now. She goes, it's like trying to put an octopus to bed. Just when you think you've finally tucked them all in, another arm pops out. And I think that's how many people and maybe situations feel right now. There's all these mysteries of life and, is, and all these things we're supposed to be concerned about and we are concerned about. And then we, 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 we tuck one in and we, then another one pops up and then another one pops up and we, it's hard to tuck the octopus in. And then we have all our own mysteries. That If we're really honest with ourselves, every week there's a question that might pop up. We might not say it out loud, but something happens in our minds and we ask ourselves, What? Why did that just happen? What's going on? What's God doing in these situations? This is the context of the book of Daniel for Daniel writing it and for the people of God who are in exile and some anchoring help and hope for them to answer these mysteries of life and answer these mysteries of, of why and what is going on. And Daniel chapter 2 is just that. And as Daniel wrote this, he, just, he said here, for people who are struggling in exile, in, in, in mysteries, and wondering what's going on. He, he told them a story. He told them the story of his own events, his own life, what happened to him as he was taken from his family, put into exile, and how that can help us. And he tells the beginning with just some dreams and some dread. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was very successful was conquering the world, had everything at his fingertips. He's dreaming some dreams. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had some dreams. And these were just ongoing dreams. He'd lay down at night. He'd think of his success, his aim for the next morning, who he wanted to capture, who he wanted to take over, what he wanted to build, and he wanted to sleep well. He'd start to sleep, and he'd have this dream of this giant figure with a gold head and a silver chest and clay feet, and all of a sudden a rock from nowhere comes in and wipes it out, and, he, and it keeps coming back and coming back, and he doesn't know what to do with it. He, he can't sleep. It's a very active Dream And in those times, especially for a king, they believed that an untold and an uninterpreted dream was very dangerous to them, very dangerous to 
the dreamer, and so he became very agitated, and he became an insomniac. He could not sleep. He, he, he could not sleep because of this dream that kept recurring, and so he did what a king could do. He called all his people around him, and he called the he, he summoned all the Chaldeans, and, the, and he brought all of his sorcerers and the people who were magicians, all of them together, and he said, I can't sleep, and I need your help. This is why I hired you. This is what your job is. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell me what my dream is and the interpretation of my dream. And if you do, I will reward you greatly. And so he, he gave him a carrot at the beginning. Here, here's, here's what I need. I, I can't sleep. I need your help. You're the best of the best. This is what I pay you for. And, but I'm not going to tell you my dream. Some people wonder if he even remembered his dream. I think he knew. But, but Nebuchadnezzar was an interesting character. He, he had some fears. This clearly shows the insecurities, even in great leaders. When you watch the news and you see the governor, you see the president get up and say all the things that they say and do all the things that they do, don't forget that they're human beings. And when they lay down, they also are filled with great concerns and often insecurities. And this was Nebuchadnezzar as well, and he's, he's troubled by this. And he says, tell me my dream and the interpretation. And they say to him, we, we, we can't do that. That's not how it works. You, you, you tell us your dream, and then we'll give you the interpretation. And what they had back then was they, they, they had these long list of books that, that, had, that, that had all these dreams and visions and explanations, and they kept them together. And so these guys in many ways were like lawyers who were like, here's the situation, now go study the book and figure it out and come back and tell me what it was. That's, that's normally how it worked. And they, they said, we can't do that. And, and Nebuchadnezzar got agitated even more, and he said, no, I'm going to be very firm on this, he said. This is what you have to do. And now if you don't tell me the dream. I'm just going to kill you. I'm just going to wipe you out, he says. He, take, he took away the, the reward, and, and he says, he, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream, verse 9, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation. And basically, if you don't, you're all going to be ripped limb from limb. He, he is angry because he possibly thinks in his security and in his, his insomnia and all this, these dreams that maybe, maybe this, this dream and this picture of a giant guy getting blown apart, maybe, maybe that means that there's a, there's a mole in the, in the crowd. Maybe there's somebody who's going to try to assassinate me. There's somebody to take me out. And he's very concerned, and he's very angry, and he's very upset, and he's very anxious. And there's this awkward dread amongst his wise men, his magicians, and his astrologers, and they're trying to figure it all out and what's going on. And, and finally they say in verse... 11 and 10 and 11, the Chaldeans answered and said, I mean, they're at their wit's end. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician 
or enchanter or Chaldean. And we know this has gone on for a long time because you can read in Genesis the story of Joseph who basically had the same situation happen to him. The, the king had a dream and he couldn't have needed the interpretation and Joseph was able to come up and God brought him to answer the interpretation. So they, they've known this is a process that's happened over time, but not like this. They've never experienced anything like this. Nobody can do this, they said. And then verse 11, it says, then the, then the thing the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods, little g, whose dwelling is not with flesh. These great cream of the crop, magicians, astrologers, the wisest in the land that the king had at his disposal, who were supposed to be able to answer all these questions un, in their great dread. They don't even, I think, maybe even realize what they said to the king, but they acknowledge that they have no idea what they're doing. They had no connections with God. He says, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. We're really not connected to him. There was this acknowledgement. I was watching this documentary on 9-11. Maybe you saw it as well. The firemen who went in. It was, it's a live video. And one of the real videos of being in the trade centers. And as they were doing this documentary and they were in that day and showing the videos and they're all at the bottom of Tower One trying to figure out what's going on. You can hear the crash of bodies dropping. They knew it was taking place. And hundreds of firemen, if you remember, running up the stairs to go rescue people. And all of a sudden, the, the rumble comes and mayday alerts start going everywhere. Mayday, mayday, leave the building, leave the building. And one of the firemen who's halfway up, he says, I, we got these mayday calls to exit. And he said to his friend who was running, walking up with him, we're on our own. And he said, for the first time in his career, I saw fear in the eye of a fireman. This was the dread that these magicians and philosophers and astrologers were dealing with, that they couldn't answer the king's request. He was going to have them torn limb from limb. And their answer is that that's only from the, from the gods. And he doesn't dwell with flesh. But there is a God who dwells with flesh for us. In John chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And then John 1, verse 14, says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the answer for every question that anybody can have. If it was from a king or for the poorest purpose in the world or from you, Jesus is the answer because he is God who came in flesh so you can know him and you can dwell with him. He, he, is, he is the answer. The wise men were exposed. 
They had all the success, all the training, all the knowledge, everything the world had to offer. He had everything there, and their only answer was, nobody can help you. We're not connected to the gods. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I came so that you can be connected. I took on human flesh so that you can know me. Be very, very careful. There are a lot of things that look very intelligent, that look extremely complex, that look very curious, but have absolutely no connection to the God of the universe, the true God. I was at a soccer uh, tournament a couple weeks ago and had like three hours to kill, so I was down in Hersher, so I drove to Kankakee, which is the only thing to do when you're in Hersher, and if you, if, you have, if you want something to eat. So I'm walking around trying to kill time. I walk into Barnes & Noble, and there's this walking around, and there's, there's books everywhere, fascinating books, in, intelligent books, highly complex books, very interesting books about how to deal with life all over the place, very compelling, but none of them are going to help us with our ultimate need if it's not centered in Jesus Christ. Be very careful what looks intelligent, what looks complex, what looks interesting, and saying that's where the real deal is. Because all these wise, highly educated people in Nebuchadnezzar's land, they, they had everything, and they had nothing to offer. And they were scared to death with dreams and dread. And then, then Daniel comes in great darkness for these guys. It says in verse 12, because of this thing, the king was very angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions. I mean, they had just gone through or in the midst of their process of being taken from Israel into Babylon. They're, they're in the process of being educated. They're in the process of becoming like the wise men. This is what the whole goal was. So they get included in this bunch of wise men that Nebuchadnezzar was just furious with and said, I'm done with them all. Kill them all. And then Daniel, it says in verse 14, replied with prudence and discretion to Ariak, the captain of the king's guard, who, has, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king's an appointment with the king that he might show the interpretation to the dream. I mean, Daniel was one unique kind of guy. Nebuchadnezzar's furious and angry, and all of a sudden this young guy Here's all these people going to get killed. And it says, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. How could he do that? Psalm 112 says, verse 1, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. He is not afraid of bad news, his heart is firm. Trusting in the Lord. This was Daniel. He hears, you know, he's a human being. Hey, all you guys, guys, all, all the ones that were dragged from Babylon who, who just starting your careers for us, you're dead. The king wants to kill you. And Daniel's response to that is not to go hide and run and duck and cover. His response is to, to walk up to the guy who's supposed to do it and say, hey, um, what's going on exactly? Because he trusted in the Lord, he had great delight in him. He was not afraid of bad news. His heart was firm, trusting in the Lord. And then Daniel says, okay, 
goes home, says to his friends, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, how was your day? And, they, and he says, well, guys, we're going to be killed if we don't answer the king's dream. So would you pray with me? He gets his four friends, and he says, hey, just pray for God's mercy for us, that he would reveal his dream. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel, which is not the highlight of this chapter. We should already know, if you've read Daniel chapter 1, this is what God does for Daniel. It says in Daniel chapter 1, he already says in verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skills and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. This was a gift that God had given Daniel already. And so he, he, he goes to God in prayer, asks for mercy, and the mystery, it says, was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered, with great delight, and he prayed this prayer to God. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known for us the king's matter. Daniel prayed, his friends prayed, God gave him mercy. Daniel gets the vision, he gets the dream, he knows what happens, he gets the interpretation and he gives this unbelievably powerful, wonderful prayer for us saying, God answered it to me. Because we pray to the God who, who raises up kings and takes them down. We, we pray to the God who, who knows all. He knows the deep things. He knows the hidden things. He knows everything that's in the darkness. God knows what's in the darkness. Could you imagine if you were in exile and, and you got this letter from Daniel and you're struggling with the darkness of what life's going to be and then you read the story and you're like, yes. That's our God. He's the one that knows the darkness. He knows, he's the one that knows the mysteries. It's just as true as it was thousands of years ago as it is for you. God knew the darkness of the people in exile, and God knows what's in your darkness. God knows exactly this morning what's, what's troubling you, what seems so dark that you can't figure out. You're not sure what this week's going to bring, what this month, what this next year. God knows it. He knows all about the darkness. Not only does he know it, God cares for it, and God has acted already in it in Christ, and God is acting in it. He knows it. This, this, is, this is the goodness and the truth that we have. There's an old chorus that said, God never moves without purpose or plan. When trying his servant or molding a man, give thanks to the Lord. Though your testing seems long, in darkness he gives a song. I could not see through the shadows ahead, so I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. I bowed to the will of the Master that day. Then peace came and tears fled away. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges in love. My Father's knows best, and I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit will I bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. And when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. 
And as true as that was thousands of years ago, it's just as true today. And David, Daniel delighted in this. And he prayed to the God who knows it all. And he got the answer. And then he goes to tell the king. But notice this other character. This says in Daniel, verse 24, Then Daniel went to Arioch, the guy who was supposed to kill him. And he says, Whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said this to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who, who will make known to the king the interpretation. No, no, he didn't. Daniel came to him. Ariac thought, but maybe, if I, maybe these wise guys don't know anything, but maybe if I bring the guy in, maybe the king will reward me. And so he walks in and says, hey, hey king, I got a guy. There, there's a, I got a guy. And, and, and he is bragging about it. He didn't have a guy. Daniel came to him, and, and, and he says to them, Daniel walks in. He's got Nebuchadnezzar, who's an angry king. He's got Arioch, who wants credit for it all. Daniel's the one who's got the answer. And Daniel walks in and gives this great description with delight. Then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make, the known dream, make known to me the dream that I've seen in its interpretation? Daniel doesn't say, yes, I'm the guy. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would it be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than any all the living. It wasn't because of all your great teaching you've been teaching me about Babylon's wisdom the last two years. Not because of that. But in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel says, it's not me, but there is a God in heaven. There's a God who can reveal mysteries. And then Daniel gives this great description of his dream. And he says, here's what happened. You had this dream. There was a giant guy. He had a big head of gold. He had some silver on his chest. His legs were made of iron. His feet were a mix of clay. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this rock came that nobody made, busted the thing up, blew it away to bits. Like in your, a, and, and it's gone. No wonder this would just bother the king. And, and Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, just so you know, you're, you're the head of gold. So if you're an angry king, you'd probably be like, okay, this might be good for me. Uh, he's the head of gold. He hears that he's the head of gold. And then verse 34, he hears about the stone. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And it's prophetic. It's about the future of what's to be, what was to come. 
God knows the beginning and the end of all things. And ever since this was written, thousands of years, many, many people have tried to figure out what this statue means, what all these different prophecies, here's when this is going to happen, here's when this is going to happen, here's when this is going to happen. And some people have got so muddled up in that that they just get stuck there. That's not the point of the vision, and that's not the point of the dream. The point of this chapter and the point of this dream is is not to know the details of the events of history, but to know the fact that history is under the control of God and His will will be done. It probably is true that it was about Babylon and then about Medo-Persia after that and then about Greece and then about Rome. But the point isn't for us to figure out what's going to happen next for our futures. The point is to know that the future is known by God. And He's going to take care of it. That it's in His hand. That He's in control of your future. He's in control of the world's future. That's the point of the goal. Which means for us in 2021... To the degree we understand that, you can sit down today, turn on Fox News, turn on CNN, turn on MSNBC, you can turn on Newsmax, and instead of being enraged in anger about what's happening in the world, you can actually watch it with engaged calmness and say, you know what, that's amazing, I don't understand any of this, that's a mystery, but God does. I don't have to be angry about everything that's taking place in the world. God is in control. Evil is happening. And and Daniel didn't back away from it. He engaged it. But he wasn't freaked out by it. That the point of the dream is to know that history is in God's hands, that your history is in God's hands. And as history happened, and it continued, there there is a kingdom that's going to exist forever. And in Luke 1, verse 33, this young little girl doing her thing, engaged to be married, she has another angel visitor, a vision. And he comes to her and he says, from you, you're going to have a child. And that child's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The great Nebuchadnezzar had this amazing dream of this giant statue that was all of a sudden powerful and mighty. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, it says, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Thousands of years later, there's this prophecy about a child that was going to be born whose kingdom will reign forever. And Jesus came and he lived and and, and as as he talked he he knew who he was he knew the kingdom of god had come and in matthew 21 42 he says jesus says have you not read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes and jesus saw himself 
as the stone. He saw himself as the cornerstone. He saw himself as the one whose kingdom was going to come to, to change the world. In 1 Peter, it says in verse 2, verses 6 through Eight, Jesus, Peter says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, for the, so the honor for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The stone is Jesus. You look at your life, you look at the mysteries, the things you don't understand, you wonder what's going on and, and, and how it's going to be. And, and if you're a follower of Christ, you believe that Jesus is the stone. He, he is the rock. He's the cornerstone. And then sometimes we, we, we stand before people, we walk around a fair, see thousands of people walking past us, and sometimes we wonder, Really? Is the answer to all the problems, all the issues that people have, is it really the person of Jesus? Is, is it really that? And it seems mind-boggling, but the answer is yes. That's really the answer. Jesus really is the answer. Just as Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, the stone came out of nowhere. But he was the answer, and that the stone of, is Christ, and his kingdom will reign forever. And so we stand with confidence and say, you know what? Je Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope that we need. His kingdom will reign forever. You can trust it. Three days after 9-11, Billy Graham, if you remember, went to the National Cathedral and he spoke. And he said to the nation, it says, now we have a choice whether to implode and disintegrate emotionally and spiritually as a people and a nation or whether we choose to become stronger through all of this struggle to rebuild on a solid foundation. And history is still trying to figure itself out what we're going to do with what Billy Graham said. But the truth is, for us individually, you also have the same choice. Will you see Jesus as the stone, who is the cornerstone, who knows and holds history, even your history? And will you turn to him in faith and repent of your sin and say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God but through him? And if you believe that, when the mysteries of life come, when the whys and the what's and the confusion and the dread and the insomnia struggles, will you say, Jesus, you are the answer. I can trust you. You are a rock. And because I know you forgave me of my sins and you've come into my life and I'm following you, you're not a rock of offense. You are for me. You're not against me. And I can stand solid on you. The, the question is, will you turn to Jesus? And if you have turned to Jesus, will you trust Jesus with the mystery? Daniel did, and it closes with the king Nebuchadnezzar falling on his face in homage to what he heard 
and Daniel remained at the king's court. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. All the nations after him are gone. But Jesus is here. His kingdom has now come, and we wait with anticipation for when his kingdom will finally come. But we wait in hope as Christians. And if you're looking at your life right now, and it seems very dark and confusing, and you've never turned to Jesus, you've never seen Jesus for who he is, this morning I would just encourage you to, to, to see Jesus. Come to Christ. Say, God, help me to see. I, I'm, I've been going this way with my life. I've been trying to do it my way. If this is true, show me Jesus. And if you're a follower of Christ now, and dread has way overtaken you, say, God, remind me who Jesus is. He is a rock, a solid rock, and we can trust in him.